0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce Jill Weber to you, not that she needs any introduction at all. She is the Director of Prayer and Spiritual Formation at Emmaus Road and the author of Even a Sparrow, which I am currently enjoying for the second time. Uh, It's a very, very good book, so I do encourage you, if you haven't read it once, definitely uh, give it a go, and you can buy a copy either downstairs or on Amazon or from your favorite Christian bookshop, wherever that may be. Uh, Jill is continuing our uh, Unhurry series, The Relentless um, Pursuit of Busyness. Something like, <laughs> Something like that. That's totally wrong. It's not the. Relen- you, you get the drift. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to pray for her as she starts. Father, thank you for Jill. Thank you that you are speaking through her today on the series of the relentless, relentless elimination of hurry. We pray, Father, that as you do that, as she does that, that we would hear clearly from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Bill.
1: I'm just gonna start with one more announcement before I get into my talk. We're entering in, starting next Wednesday, the season of Lent, which is a 40-day journey towards Easter and typically, communities, churches would, would spend a time of preparation as we look towards celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're actually going on a journey, not only in Emmaus, but with all the other churches that are involved in wildfires. We've created a, a daily devotional book that takes us through morning and evening prayers. And typically, the time of Lent is a time of introspection, of repentance. But in this season, instead of going in the wilderness for the purification of our own souls, we're inviting us into the wilderness to look back into the history of revival in the UK and beyond, to look out to the needs of the world and to look at God to see what he might want to do in our midst. And so um, these are, are downstairs, they're three pounds each, we would love it if everybody in the congregation got one, went on this journey together, and then also we've created collective resources, so in your collectives over Lent, you could go on the journey as well. And then we kick it all off at the Lighthouse next Wednesday night at 7.30 for an Ash Wednesday service. So that's that announcement. So how many of you have been uh, trying some experiments in solitude and silence? Did anybody give it a go last week? The fun thing about experiments is you're just experimenting. You're just trying it. And you try something, and you go, well, that didn't work. you know, And then you try something else, and so some people are are taking their commute in quiet instead of to the radio. Others have taken notifications off of their phones. Other people have gone for 40-day wilderness walks. Not really, but maybe next week. And, uh, <laughs> but, but a number of us are just trying and exploring what would a little more quiet, a little more alone time do for our souls. And this week, we're gonna look at the practice of Sabbath. I am a, a doer, I'm a go-getter, I'm a triple-A, type-A personality, type personality. not quite as energetic as Nikki, <laughs> but, but I'm, um, you know, I've always sort of been chugging along in life, and, and up till a few years ago, for me, normal, my normal work week was a six-day work week. You know, I thought, well, we'll just get her done, there's lots of great stuff to do, I love doing it, so let's just go, and then my one day off was a day that I needed to take to do my laundry and do my grocery shopping and clean up where the tornado had hit my house, you know, and and everything, just get everything sorted and ready so I could step into my next work week. And that was, for me, that was normal. That's how I did life. And then one day, a mentor of mine had a little chat with me. (laughs) And she said, Jill, you know what? This pace, if you wanna keep doing what you're doing for like a year, then this pace is okay. If you wanna keep doing what you're doing for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years, because at that time I was doing urban mission, if you wanna be doing this into the future with any kind of life and vitality and enjoyment and any kind of health of soul, you need to practice Sabbath. At which point I said, well, I take a day off, right? I do my laundry, I do my grocery shopping, I clean my house, and they are like, no, 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 no. A day off is not the same as a Sabbath, and there's a wonderful book by Eugene Peterson, he wrote a memoir called The Pastor, and in that memoir, he was talking to one of his mentors, and his mentor called a day off a bastard Sabbath, not a real Sabbath, because Sabbath is not about getting everything ready to launch and to work again. Sabbath is about, biblically, Sabbath is about rest. Sabbath is about delight unplugging from life, to plug into God and the people that we love, slowing it all down. So my, my mentor said, what you need to do is you need to take off two days in a row. I was like, two days in a row? How is that even humanly possible? I can't even imagine it. She's like, one day to, as a day of preparation. Get everything ready so that when your Sabbath comes, you can just Rest. It took her six months to convince me. I really wasn't sure. And then it took another six months for me to actually re-engineer and re-prioritize my life so that I could do it. So it took me a whole year to sort it out. How was I gonna make this thing happen? And then the most remarkable thing happened. I practiced Sabbath with my husband, you know, for a year, over a year, and then all of a sudden, one day, I kind of looked at him, and he looked at me, and I said, you know, honey, we don't fight anymore. And I realized that 95% of the conflict in our marriage, I don't actually call it fighting, I call it intense fellowship, <laughs> of the intense fellowship in my life, in my marriage, was because I was overtired and I was cranky. You know, it's not the big fights, it's the little nip-nip-nipping at each other because we really don't have enough emotional energy to give our best self to each other. None of you can relate, probably, but I know for me. (laughs) Practicing Sabbath revolutionized my marriage and my enjoyment of my husband and our life together. So those of you who are married, how many of you would like a better marriage? Don't put up your hand. <laughs> Might practicing the Sabbath help? In Genesis Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we get this beautiful, sweeping narrative of of the beginning of creation. And we see the Holy Spirit brooding over the chaos and God speaking life and light and darkness and planets and plants all into existence. Days 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, God loves his work. He's working away and he goes, oh, that was good. And he's working over here and he's like a giraffe. Wow, that's good. He loves his work. I love, I'm quite, I'm really, um, I love that God loves his work, right? He enjoys what he does, right? And then day six, he makes men and he makes women. He's like, whoa, that is really good. So he's loving his job. He's loving his work. And then he takes a day off. Imagine that. Genesis 2, verses one to three. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He made it holy. Holy means dedicated, consecrated, set apart for a special purpose. The Sabbath is the first thing in the scripture that is described as holy. God rested after creation. I I think it's, it's quite interesting. So God worked. And then at the end of his work week, he rested. And when did we rest? We rested at the beginning of our work week. Because God made us on the sixth day. So what happened on the seventh day? We took a rest together. Have you thought of that? My life actually started in rest, not in work. What could happen if we lived and worked out of the place of rest rather than working our way into needing rest? Anyway, it's an interesting, uh, yeah. So then we see all through the Old Testament narrative in Exodus 20 verse 8. This is the part of the the story of the children of Israel where God has taken them out of Egypt, out of the place of captivity. He's taken them on a journey through the wilderness. And then then on um, Mount Horeb, he gives them the Ten Commandments. So this is who we're going to be together. This is how we're going to live. And here's what he says about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And we see all the way through the narrative of the Old Testament, God inviting his people into rest, into the provision of heaven. We're wandering the wilderness. God gives us manna to eat every day except the Sabbath. But that's okay, because on the sixth day, he gives us double. So he gives us what we need so that when the day of rest comes, we can just kick back and enjoy his good gifts. Give our hearts to him and rest And then when Jesus came, he began to reframe Sabbath a little bit and and brought a bit of nuance because what had happened over the centuries is all of these religious laws and regulations had been built up around the Sabbath like barnacles on the side of a boat. And it got very rigid and restrictive. And Jesus scraped off the barnacles and messed with their heads. He says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for us, Jesus says. The Sabbath is God's gift to us. Rest is God's gift to you. But Sabbath is is sort of a dim memory in our cultural memory. right? If you go walk on the high street after church, I know that nobody shops after church on the high street because I don't see any of you there while I'm shopping on the high street after church. <laughs> but the shops are all open, aren't they? So gone is the day where everything's shut down on the Sabbath. And if the shops are closed, well, Amazon is open so we can produce and consume all the time. We've lost it in our cultural memory and our, and our weekends are cluttered, our school programs and sporting activities, and they just fills all the crevices in our lives. So, what is it? How how do we even do this? How do we take a day of rest, a day of worship, a day of settling into God's goodness, delighting in all of His good's gift, a day of making room for love for God and for one another? There's lots of good stuff we can do on the Sabbath. If you're single, Great time to have friends over. I love that one of Jesus practices. I mentioned this two weeks ago. One of Jesus' spiritual practices was he had. He was a single guy, and he had long meals with his friends to talk about things that mattered. That was his spiritual practice. What a great Sabbath practice for us. Some of us probably would just even prefer to crawl back into bed and have a nap. I'm a fan of naps. Anybody else a fan of naps? Hallelujah. Reading books, fiction books. I don't typically read fiction except on holidays and on Sabbath. Reading not for like learning, but reading just for pleasure. You even got, you even got extra bonus points from rabbis, married couples, if you made love on the Sabbath. Can I get a hallelujah, right? <laughs> Delighting in all of God's good gifts. Making room for God, being fully present and fully loving to those in our, in our circles, whether they're our friends or our family. So at this point, all of you who have children are going, yeah, right, how's that going to work for me, right? Really, I've got five kids under the age of six. How on earth am I going to practice Sabbath? So I have some practical tips. I, uh, I, I spoke to a few friends of mine and said, how do you do it? I have a number of friends who've got four kids, five kids. So here's, here's some of their tips. You can take notes if you have children. One of my friends, they, they put all of their, uh, they've got a box, and when the Sabbath begins, they put their computers, their iPods, their iPads, their phones in a box and lock it. And so then, so they're screen free for the whole Sabbath time. So they actually have to learn to talk to each other and play with each other nicely. Imagine that. No, it's good family bonding time, but that's what they do. They're like, no, okay, no technology during our Sabbath. Another family I know, they got five kids under the age of seven, and they've got a Sabbath ritual, and actually children quite like ritual and routine. So here's their ritual. They go to, like, the the most crazy donut store in town. You know, like, the ones that are, like, peanut butter brownie with extra sprinkle and lollipops on top. You know, those kinds of donuts in... uh, And the kids just go crazy. They love the donuts. So they go and get a box of these disgusting, huge donuts. And then the kids get all covered with donut. And they throw them in a car. And they go to a lake that's about half an hour from their house. And they spend the whole day paddling around the bushes and the water and the fields. And they just let the kids run around like a bunch of kittens out of a box. And that's their Sabbath. And they love it. They love it. They even bought the kids these like full all-weather like wetsuit type things you know, so even if the weather's bad, they can go and do it. I've got another friend who, uh, um, uh, they've, they've trained their children. They've got four kids, but they've trained, and this works when your kids are a little bit older, you train your kids to enjoy solitude and silence. That can actually be taught, and they do it because each child has to go into their room for an hour or two in an afternoon for quiet time, no screens. They have to play by themselves. And work their way through their boredom. Not being entertained. And and kids have learned. It's become normalized for them. So that everybody gets a rest. And then some other friends. This is good if if your kids are younger. Husbands and wives give each other the gift of a Sabbath. So one week the husband will get up. Get all the kids. Take them out somewhere. So that the wife can then sleep in and have solitude and silence in their home and have a leisurely morning until around lunchtime. And then the next weekend they flip it around so that the husband gets the same. So spouses, can you give each other the gift of a Sabbath? Probably you can. So what are the things we should avoid in Sabbath? Well, work, probably. Technology, probably. Buying and selling, probably. Um, and, And definitely worry. Letting go of anxiety. I want to just talk for a couple minutes about Sabbath as resistance. And resistance to Sabbath. Sabbath is resistance and resistance to Sabbath. Sabbath is resistance to the dehumanizing cultural idolatry of our age. How's that? You can take that one home for lunch, right? Resistance to our cultural idolatry. There's a wonderful book by Walter Brueggemann. Uh, we'll put the quote up here: "Sabbath as Resistance." In our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it's an invisible, it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and the consumption of commodity goods. I shop, therefore I am. I work, therefore I am. We get defined by our production capacity. We get defined You know, it's your algorithms on Facebook will tell you who you are. Don't you hate it? You're like talking to somebody, like, "Oh yeah, I want to book a flight to Ibiza," and then you go on Facebook, and then all of a sudden there's like flights to Ibiza advertisements on Facebook. Like, how did that even happen, right? You get defined by algorithms. And um, and, and when you look actually at at the, the Ten Commandments in the Deuteronomy passage, we see it. We see it in Exodus, and we see it in Deuteronomy. It reads a little bit differently. In Deuteronomy, because it articulates Sabbath as resistance. Deuteronomy 5 12 to 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So, quick quiz how many days off do slaves get? None, right? None. If you're a slave, you don't get any days. I've completely dehumanizing. Your value is intrinsically tied up with what you can produce and what you can do. Slaves do not get a day off. And so when the, the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt and were led out of bondage into the wilderness and then into the promised land, God says, "You're not slaves anymore." You are no longer defined by your ability to produce, and I'm gonna give you a gift to remind you. I'm gonna give you the Sabbath, a day just to be, because the Lord your God has made you for himself, not as a producer, not as a consumer, but as a child of God. I wonder how many of us feel like we're still in Egypt, Sabbath keeping breaks our agreement and our attachment to those cultural idolatries, those things that would define us as something other than children of God. So, Sabbath is resistance against dehumanization. Sabbath is also resistance. Well, I'm going to speak for myself because this is my own personal struggle. Sabbath is my resistance against my own grandiosity, and against my own arrogance. I've heard it said that if the devil can't keep you down, what he'll do instead is he'll push you beyond your God-given assignment and capacity. If he can't keep you down, he will push you out of the assignment that God has given you. And frankly, though, I don't actually need the devil's help with that at all because I do it all by myself, right? I think, oh, I could do that, and I could do that. Oh, I could do that. I could definitely do that and that and that. And I step outside of of God's assignment for me because I, I don't settle into the fact that I am simply a finite human being. Romans 12, verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And then 2 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits. We will confine our boasting to the sphere of service that God himself has assigned to us. So God has assigned to you and to you and to you and to me a sphere of service. We are created for good works in Christ and so when I'm talking about practicing Sabbath I'm not talking about chucking it all and going and living on a desert island and twiddling your thumbs for the rest of your life that's not what I'm saying God has given us things to do but for me in my own grandiosity and my own arrogance I want to do everybody else's things too probably none of you can relate but that's my own personal journey I'm constantly having to assess what is the sphere of service that God has given me. And I'm constantly having to resist the voice in myself and my culture that says bigger, better, faster, stronger, more, more, more. The reality is that only God is infinite. God is God and I am not And I have to learn how to be a creature in the presence of my creator. I have to grow in humility. I might have to let go of the myth of indispensability. Wow, if I take a Sabbath, the world might continue to spin on its axis. Emmaus Road might even continue as a church if I take a Sabbath. Imagine that. Right? My own myth of indispensability. Hmm. I struggled this week actually because I had a number of talks that I had to do this week and I had set aside Friday as a Sabbath and so Thursday night was looming and Thursday night I'm looking at my to-do list and I'm looking at my half-written talk for today thinking, boy, I really would like some time on Friday to finish my sermon and do my to-do list. And so my act of resistance And I actually, I had to make myself accountable to somebody because I felt so tempted. My active resistance was shutting the computer down, putting it away, and leaving it trusting that somehow all would be well, even if I took a rest. Wayne Muller's written a lovely book called The Sabbath. And here's a a scripture in it. He says, because we do not rest, we lose our way. Not a scripture, quote, Sorry. And I've actually, I've showed this to you before. I'm going to keep showing it to you till we all get it. But because we do not rest, we lose our way. We miss the compass points that show us where to go. We lose the nourishment that gives us succor. We miss the quiet that gives us wisdom. I need more wisdom. I don't know about you. Poisoned by the hypnotic belief that good things only come through tireless effort. We never truly rest. And for want of rest, our lives are in danger. Have I convinced you? Maybe, some of you. That's all right. It took me six months to be convinced. So that's all right. I'll just read the book and and read other stuff and maybe you'll get convinced. But... So Sabbath is resistance. It's resisting the dehumanizing aspects of our culture. It's resisting our own innate grandiosity. Good idea, you think. Sabbath, I will think about incorporating it into my life a little bit, maybe sometime down the road. Maybe at this point I'm only speaking to few in a room, but most of us struggle with this. Most of us are resisting arrest <laughs> Anybody got toddlers? Any parents of toddlers in the room? A few? No, they all come to the morning service. All right. Well, grandchildren, <laughs> so often we are like small, fractious, fretting and fatigued children but who resist sleep. We're like a toddler who needs a nap and says, "But I'm not tired." Isaiah 30, verse 15, very familiar passage. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. We love that, right? We've got songs about it. Many of us have memorized it. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And we leave off the last part of the verse, which says, but you would have none of it we resist arrest many of us if we are honest are restless we're restless we're uncomfortable in our own skins and it's much easier to skip stones on the surface of our lives rather than to stop and sink into the depths It's much easier, it's much less threatening to run on automatic pilot than it is to deeply engage with God in our primary relationships, be they friends or family, or even our very souls. Last week, not this last Sabbath, but the Sabbath before, I had a terrible Sabbath. I was like, I just felt like I got quiet, I got still, And then I just caved in on myself. I was so restless and I called my spiritual director and I'm like, what is that Sabbath is life-giving? It's supposed to be life-giving. She says, no, sometimes Sabbath is tricky. And I wrote a little poem out of that time and I'm going to share it with you because I think it articulates what Thomas Merton calls our existential dread when we step into quiet. What if I was to stop, to look, to listen, to settle into the skin that I'm in and make my home there? I'm afraid if I knock on the door of my soul, I'll find nobody home, or that I'll step over the threshold into open space and spin into darkness. Oh, look at that, there's music. <laughs> or all things untidy and inconvenient that I boxed and shelved will tumble from the cupboards and tip me into oblivion. Or that I'll wander like a wraith looking for my reflection, insubstantial as mist. Or that my own heart hunger will eat me alive and spit out the bones? What if I were to stop, to look, and to listen, to settle into the skin that I'm in, and make my home there? Here's the invitation. If we're resisting arrest, if we're struggling with existential angst, if it's too scary to stop, can we just see it? Can we name it? Can we hold it in God's presence? Say, this, this is how I am right now. Can you come and be with me in that space? Invite a in, And then practice Sabbath anyways. Push Through the resistance, sink into the comfort of your own home, of your own skin, become human again. Walter Brueggemann has this great line, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. And the writer of Hebrews says, there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's not even so much about a day, it's about a way of being in the world but it's anchored in setting a day apart to give ourselves to God. In Sabbath rest, we feel a renewal of energy and a gradual clarity of perception. In Sabbath rest, we are restored and re In Sabbath rest, we become softer, more vulnerable, more human, In Sabbath rest, we become more attentive to the movement of the soul and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In Sabbath rest, we discover the sacredness and the sacramental nature of all of life. And in Sabbath rest, we settle into simplicity. We let the complexities of life fall away. Get away with me, says Jesus, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. So why don't we stand together? Let's just pray. Father, I just pray for everybody in this room who feels like they've been stuck in Egypt. We're defined by what we consume and what we produce. Holy Spirit, would you come and take them on a journey? Would you set them free, set us free so that we can stand as mere mortals in your presence, loved by you, named by you? And Father, I pray for those of us who are sort of on a wilderness journey in between, trying to make more space, trying to make more time for you, but are finding it tricky and a little bit perilous and hard. Would you lead and guide us with your presence? Would you take us on the journey? For those of us who are weary and burdened, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now. Invite you to minister, Holy Spirit, your peace. Some of you might even feel like just as an act of receiving this, you want to shake your shoulders. You just want to shake off the burdens. You just want to let it go. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to relax into the love of God the one who knows me, the one who names me, the one who calls me his own, the one who invites me into rest and delight and love. We receive your love today. We receive you, Holy Spirit. We take a deep breath. We take a deep breath and we invite you to fill us with all of your fullness. We cast all our cares on you, knowing that you care. You care for us. You will hold us. You will sustain us. We give ourselves to you today.